I would like to tell you a story. You be the judge upon speaking truth or denial. The story begins on a hot summer day in Miami, Florida, involving three black teenager boys, and at the time they were about 15 years old. School was in summer break. One of the boys called the other two boys, and all, their, all three was on the phone on a conference call. What should we do today? As they began to speak amongst themselves, and at one time, almost like reading another, one another's minds, they came. They said the game room, and this was a place where most of all the teenage crowd hung out. They decided to meet at the bus stop on 62nd Street and uh, 27th Avenue by Mother King Station. One of the boys stayed home, stayed down in the Palaka area, close to the Blue Department, and one of the boys stayed in, in Liberty City, close to the Pork and Beans, and one of the boys stayed in in the Brownsville area, close by the Hampton House. Now, as each of the boys started leaving the, leaving the house to meet up at the agreed location, this would be the last day alive for one of the teenage boys. The teenage boy from Opelaka was inside the bathroom, taking one last look in the mirror, making sure he was camera ready, teeth brushed, haircut fresh, and the last accessory headphone. As the teenage boy begins to walk towards the door, his mother called him. She had no, had no idea this, that her eldest son was dying today. He turns back around, walks towards his mother and says, yes, ma'am. I'll get to be home before 9 p.m. Yes, ma'am, he answered. And as he says, I love you, mom, and she answers, I love you also. And please don't get into no trouble, as she begins to say. He turns back around, walks towards the front door, opens the door, starts to lock the door. And that's when the story takes a tragic turn. The teen's boy was unaware the crime was just committed in his neighborhood by someone of his same height and skin tone. And also, on the police radio says the individual was armed and dangerous. Teen's boy made a call to one of the other boys, letting him know I'm on my way. And at the same time, the badge law was coming around the corner. Bachelor seen him, like putting something back in his back in his pants pocket. Assumed the prop, assumed properly he was the suspect, because he was the same height and skin tone. Made a beeline towards him and jumped out of the car with guns pointing at the teenager boy, but he had his music on maximum level and couldn't hear the bachelor barking orders. Put your hands up. Get on the fucking ground. Show me your hands. His phone rings. It's one of the other boys seeing if he's on the bus yet. And as he reaches in the pocket to answer the phone, all you can hear is no sound like firecrackers meant for Independence Day. The teenage boy never knew what hit him. The badge log keeps barking out orders, let me see your hands to a dead corpse. Let me see your hands. When there's no response, he tells his partner to cover him while he can handcuff the individual. Bazalow gets on the radios, says shots fired. Need medical assistance. The suspect was shot. As teenage boy phone continues to ring, you can see a crowd starting to form. Looking to see who was that? Laying dead in the streets. The Bazalow calls his sergeant on the radio about the situation and the sergeant directs him to secure the crime scene and sends additional units. Each minute begins to seem like an hour. And the swelling of the crowd grows with each passing tick of the cock. I hear the suspect wanted for the crime in the neighborhood was apprehended and is in custody. Now by this time, the news station bands can be seen converging on the scene of the shooting. The other two boys are saying, where is he? Why is he not picking up the phone? About this time, teenage boys is about two hours late. The other two boys are oblivious to what has happened to their friend. They said amongst themselves, if he don't come, don't reach in the next 30 minutes, we have to meet, him, meet us up at the game room. About this time, news had spread around the neighborhood about a shooting, and someone was deceased. We're going to begin talking about denial, the next part of the series. This is when the mom begins to explain and let you know who she is. Starts off by saying, I am the mother of the 15-year-old teenager that was killed by the badge of law. 
have two more kids, one a 12-year-old boy and an 18-year-old girl. Let me take you through the day. Excuse me if I shed a couple of tears. It was at summertime, and I had worked last night doing a 12-hour shift at the hospital. It's safe to say I was very tired from work, but being a single mom, single parent, you always have something to do with your kids. I looked to my eldest to give me a hand with his younger brother and sister, and sometimes he would say, Mom, I have plans, but nevertheless, he was a good kid, made good grades, stayed out of trouble. His teachers always just called out of the blue and said he is so well-behaved. I tried to give him everything he needed because I didn't want my child to end up like his father murdered in a robbery at the store he worked. I was sleeping. My oldest son knocked on my door and said, come in. Gently opening my door, he asked me, was it okay if he goes to meet up with his friends? They was going to the game room. I said, yes, you can go, but just be back before 9 p.m. This was one of the last words that I would tell my son and that I loved him. After my son left the house, I couldn't go back to sleep. I took a look at my watch and the time was about 3 p.m. Noticing I have about uh, three hours before work. I called my 10-year-old daughter to my room. She walks in, yes ma'am, and I said, go uh, take out some chicken out of the freezer, put it in a pot, and let the hot water run on the meat to help it defrost. And by the time I wake up, the meat will be nice and defrost, and I begin to start dinner and cook. My daughter walks out of my room, and I get out of the bed and go to take a shower. Now there is something about hot water running down your body that has every muscle in your body <laughs> feeling relaxed. The vibrations going throughout your body, heading to your brain. After about 30 minutes of showering, my own form of therapy Relaxation, it was finally time. You start cooking dinner. I am making up my bed towards the kitchen. I'm making my way towards the kitchen to check out the meat. Now, while I was in the kitchen uh, cooking, I started to hear, as people was walking by my window in the kitchen, the chat about someone's just killed by the police. I thought amongst myself, what's new? But this killing would affect me profoundly. I finished cooking. After about one hour, I had, I had done cooked baked chicken, yellow rice, and cabbage. I called my two youngest kids to, uh, to come eat their food. Dinner was ready. I had also uh, fixed my eldest son a plate and put it in the microwave. Started fixing me some food uh, to eat now and, you know, something to eat for lunch at work tonight. I'm making my way down the hallway back to my room to get ready for work. The time is about 5.45 p.m. I take my work uniform uh, to, the, to the cleaners, so, you know, I don't have to really iron. I tell my youngest kids to not let anyone inside the house. Your brother will be back home soon from the game room. Let him know I put his food in the microwave, and I say to tell him I will see him in the morning. I walk to the front door heading towards my car, I always start saying a prayer to protect my kids and traveling grace to work. I start heading towards the front of my apartment complex, heading towards 27th Avenue. My normal routine to work, my, I'm sorry, my normal route to work. I made it about, you know, 135th Street, 32nd Avenue before traffic began diverting. And I see a lot of red and blue lights and I can... You know, I can make out a couple of news station vans, even the news channel 10. I really like how they engage with their viewers. I wonder, is this what people was talking about in the neighborhood? And when they walking by my door, you know, I'm just wondering. I have, you know, now I have a detour going 32nd Avenue to work. I found out what happened on uh, news tonight, I was saying to myself. And I hope I don't be late to work due to the detour. 
after about 30 minutes of driving, you know, driving later, I made it to work almost uh, six minutes to spare. I parked my car in the, the, the closest uh, lot by the ER room. I love my job on most days, but some days I have to take a long cup of red wine after work. I went towards the ERC. That's where I worked at in the hospital. But today I floated towards the morgue. This is where the the county bring uh, individuals for the medical examiner to do autopsies on. Killed by the badge of law. Well, anything to do with the death involved in the badge of law. I didn't have time to check on my eldest son um, to make sure he was on his way home. I walked to the elevator. I pushed the B button for the basement. After re uh, after reaching the basement, it was like a short walk to the morgue. I was working with Dr. Adderley, one of the only black medical examiners in the state of Florida. I used my badge to get inside the restricted area. That's when I see Dr. Adderley. Now, he was a very nice-looking man. I think maybe he played football in college by his physical appearance. I spoke, hello, hello. I am Nurse Jarrow. I am be working with, with you tonight, Dr. Adderley. He says, hello, Nurse Jarrow. Or should I call you by your first name, Juliet? I didn't think he remembered me. You know, I started laughing. <laughs> we shared the laugh, rather. Why wouldn't I, Queen? It's been a while since the last time we've seen each other. We will always meet during my lunch breaks before he moves to Ethiopia for a couple of years, volunteering at a hospital. So we began to chat about, you know, 15 minutes he asked about my kids and etc. cetera. Now Dr. Alley started giving me the report about what we was doing tonight and that uh, there was a shooting involving the badge of law and a victim was coming here. I said to Dr. Alley, I seen that when I was on my way to work. But I didn't have the details. I was just, uh, you know, going to look at the news to find out what happened. Dr. Galley says there's going to be new people around the hospital. I thought to myself, wow. <laughs> okay. Excuse me. I looked at my watch. The time was about, you know, 8 p.m. And I, I haven't received a call from my son yet. He let me know he made it home. I stepped out the moor going out of the going out the back to call my eldest son, but the phone went straight to the voicemail. I tried again, but the same thing happened to voicemail. I left a message, call mom. I thought nothing of it, just man, maybe his battery was dead or so I called my, my twelve year old son to see if my eldest was home. And you know, just in what they was doing. My twelve year old says uh, he's reading a book about oppression in America. I said, Okay, and and asked about, what about your sister? She went to sleep about 30 minutes ago. I said, okay, is your brother home yet? He said, no, ma'am. I said, okay, uh, well, when he gets there, you know, tell him to call me. He said, yes, ma'am. I said, bye, and hang up the phone. As I was walking back into the building, Dr. Alley says we have a high priority coming in. And I hear it's a young African-American teenager. My heart dropped. I was thinking about my parents. I was thinking about, I'm sorry. Thinking about the parents of the kid, how I would, how I would wish that was on no one. I would say about 20 minutes later, the individual was arriving by police escort. I was getting the things the doctor needed to form an autopsy. I could hear every, every tick of the clock on the wall, tick, tick, tick. I could hear some noise coming from the back and the door opened. The boy, the body was coming covered with a yellow sheet. Two police officers walked in with the body now. How they was dressed, I could tell they was detectives. They came in and said, hello, good night to me and Dr. Adler. We have a juvenile black male. So we are looking to, uh, for a press conference in about 30 minutes. Dr. Adler said, okay, detective, let's begin. So we started taking off the yellow sheet. I screamed so loud I could, I could have woke the dead. And all I remember saying, no, God, not my son. That was heard, the scream, and came running back in, pushing the door with so much force. They asked, what's wrong? This is my son. What happened? Looking to make sense, but I was in shock. 
felt my body going numb. Dr. I called the administrator in charge, informing her they need to send someone to replace me, letting, letting her know about the situation. I could not stop crying. I was starting to shake. That's all I could remember. The next thing I know, I woke up in a hospital room, looking around and saying, it must have been a dream. I began to push the car light to get some assistance. That's when I seen Dr. Adderley coming inside the room to speak with me about the loss of my son. Before he could speak, I said, no, not my son. Let me call his phone. But the more I was in denial of the situation, I realized my other son was dead. I need I needed answers. So I need to pull myself together. I left the hospital heading towards home. I was thinking, how am I going to tell my youngest kids that brother is dead? I jumped on the highway to beat traffic, but I was moving I wasn't moving any faster. I'm going I'm getting off on 135th Street, exit heading west to the apartment building. I was close to home and I needed to think what I was going to say to the kids. I started parking the car, but I sat inside for about a couple of minutes to gather my thoughts. I began to exit the car, making my way towards the front door of the apartment. I put the key in the door and turned the knob. I made my way inside and closed the door behind me. I called my 12-year-old son and my 12-year-old daughter name and my 12-year-old came and said, yes, ma'am. He said, I see he said, you see, I can't, okay, I'm sorry. He can see I have been crying. He says, what's wrong, Mom? I say, go get your sister. I have something to tell both of you. What's going, what's going, what's wrong, Mom? I say, just go get your sister. My 12-year-old 12, 12 son gets, goes to wake up my daughter. About five minutes later, my 12-year-old daughter was coming towards me, wiping her eyes from being in a deep sleep. Yes, ma'am. She says to me, and mom, why are you home from work? I now have two of my youngest kids in their room. I was getting ready to tell them about their brother, but the phone rang. We're going to begin talking about denial, the next part of the series. This is when the mom begins to explain and let you know who she is. Starts off by saying, I am the mother of the 15-year-old teenager that was killed by the badge of law. I have two more kids, one a 12-year-old boy and a 10-year-old girl. Let me take you through the day. Excuse me if I shed a couple of tears. It was at summertime and I had worked last night doing a 12-hour shift at the hospital. It's safe to say I was very tired from work, but being a single mom, single parent, you always have something to do with your kids. I looked to my eldest to give me a hand with his younger brother and sister, and sometimes he would say, Mom, I have plans, but nevertheless, he was a good kid, made good grades, stayed out of trouble. His teachers always just called out of the blue and said he is so well behaved. I tried to give him everything he needed because I didn't want my child to end up like his father murdered in a robbery at the store he worked. I was sleeping. My oldest son knocked on my door and said, come in. Gently opening my door, to ask me, was it okay if he goes to meet up with his friends? They was going to the game room. I said, yes, you can go, but just be back before 9 p.m. This was one of the last words that I would tell my son and that I loved him. After my son left the house, I couldn't go back to sleep. I took a look at my watch and the time was about 3 p.m. Noticing I have about uh, three hours before work. I called my 10-year-old daughter to my room. She walks in, yes ma'am, and I said, go uh, take out some chicken out of the freezer, put it in a pot, and let the hot water run on the meat. To help it defrost. And by the time. I wake up. The meat will be nice and defrost. And I begin to start dinner and cook. My daughter walks out of my room. And I get out of the bed and go to take a shower. 
Now, there is something about hot water running down your body that has every muscle in your body <laughs> feeling relaxed. The vibrations going throughout your body, heading to your brain. After about 30 minutes of showering, my own form of therapy, <laughs> relaxation, it was finally time. You start cooking dinner. I'm making up my bed towards the kitchen. I'm making my way towards the kitchen to check out the meat. Now, while I was in the kitchen uh, cooking, I started to hear, as people was walking by my window in the kitchen, the chat about someone was just killed by the police. I thought amongst myself, what's new? But this killing would affect me profoundly. I finished cooking. After about one hour, I had, I had done cooked baked chicken, yellow rice, and cabbage. I called my two youngest kids to, uh, to come eat their food. Dinner was ready. I had also uh, fixed my eldest son a plate and put it in the microwave. So I fixed me some food uh, to eat now and, you know, something to eat for lunch at work tonight. I'm making my way down the hallway back to my room to get ready for work. The time is about 5.45 p.m. I take my work uniform uh, to the to the cleaners, so you know I don't have to really iron. I tell my youngest kids to not let anyone inside the house. Your brother will be back home soon from the game room. Let him know I put his food in the microwave, and I say to tell him I will see him in the morning. I walk to the front door, heading towards my car. I always start saying a prayer to protect my kids and traveling grace to work. I start heading towards the front of my apartment complex, heading towards 27th Avenue. My normal routine to work, my, I'm sorry, my normal route to work. I made it about, you know, 135th Street, 32nd Avenue before traffic began diverting. And I see a lot of red and blue lights and I can, you know, I can make out a couple of news station vans, even the news channel 10. I really like how they engage with their viewers. I wonder, is this what people was talking about in the neighborhood? And when it's walking by my door, you know, I'm just running. there. I have, you know, now I have this detour going on 32nd Avenue to work. I found out what happened on uh, news tonight, I was saying to myself. And I hope I don't be late to work <laughs> due to the detour. After about 30 minutes of driving, you know, driving later, I made it to work almost uh, six minutes to spare. I parked my car in the, the, the closest uh, lot by the ER room. I love my job on most days, but some days I have to take a long cup of red wine after work. I went towards the ERC. That's where I worked at in the hospital. But today I floated towards the morgue. This is where the, the county bring uh, individuals for the medical examiner to do autopsies on, killed by the badge of law, or anything to do with the death involved in the badge of law. I didn't have time to check on my eldest son um, to make sure he was on his way home. I walked to the elevator. I pushed the B button for the basement. After, re uh, after reaching the basement, it was like a short walk to the morgue. I was working with Dr. Adderley, one of the only black medical examiners in the state of Florida. I used my badge to get inside the restricted area. That's when I see Dr. Alley. Now, he was a very nice-looking man. I think maybe he played football in college by his physical appearance. I spoke, hello, hello. I am Nurse Jarrow. I will be working with, with you tonight, Dr. Adderley. He says, hello, Nurse Jarrow. Or should I call you by your first name, Juliet? I didn't think he remembered me. You know, I started laughing. <laughs> we shared the laugh, rather. Why wouldn't I, Queen? It's been a while since the last time we've seen each other. We will always meet during my lunch breaks before he moves to Ethiopia for a couple of years, volunteering at a hospital. So we began to chat about, you know, 15 minutes, he asked about my kids and etc. cetera. Now, Dr. Alley started giving me the report about what we was doing tonight and that uh, there was a shooting involving the badge of law, and a victim was coming here. I said to Dr. Galilee, I seen that. 
when I was on my way to work, but I didn't have the details. I was just, uh, you know, going to look at the news to find out what happened. Dr. Gatley says there's going to be new people around the hospital. I thought to myself, wow. <laughs> okay. Excuse me. I looked at my watch. The time was about you know, 8 p.m. and I, I haven't received a call from my son yet. He let me know he made it home. I stepped out the morgue going out, of the, going out the back to call my eldest son, but the phone went straight to the voicemail. I tried again, but the same thing happened to voicemail. I left a message, call mom. I thought nothing of it, just man, maybe his battery was dead, or so I called my, my 12-year-old son to see if my eldest was home. And, you know, just in what they was doing. My 12-year-old says, uh, he's reading a book about oppression in America. I said, okay, and, and asked about, what about your sister? She went to sleep about 30 minutes ago. I said, okay, is your brother home yet? He said, no, ma'am. I said, okay, uh, well, when he gets there, you know, tell him to call me. He said, yes, ma'am. I said, bye, and hang up the phone. As I was walking back into the building, Dr. Ali says we have a high priority coming in. And I hear it's a young African-American teenager. My heart dropped. I was thinking about my parents. I was thinking about, I'm sorry, thinking about the parents of the kid. How I would, how I would wish that was on no one. I would say about 20 minutes later, the individual was arriving by police escort, I was getting the things the doctor needed to form an autopsy. I could hear every tick of the clock on the wall, tick, tick, tick. I could hear some noise coming from the back and the door opened. The boy, the body was coming, covered with a yellow sheet. Two police officers walked in with the body now. How they was dressed, I could tell they was detectives. They came in and said, hello, good night. To me and Dr. Adler, we have a juvenile black male. So we are looking to, uh, for a press conference in about 30 minutes. So I said, uh, okay, detective, let's begin. So we started taking off the yellow sheet. I screamed so loud I could, I could have woke the dead. And all I remember saying, no, God, not my son. That was heard, the scream, and came running back in, pushing the door with so much force. They asked, what's wrong? This is my son. What happened? Looking to make sense, but I was in shock. Felt my body going numb. Doctor, I called the administrator in charge, informing her they need to send someone to replace me, letting letting her know about the situation. I could not stop crying. I was starting to shake. That's all I could remember. The next thing I know, I woke up in a hospital room looking around and saying, it must have been a dream. I began to push the car light to get some assistance. That's when I seen Dr. Adley coming inside the room to speak with me about the loss of my son. Before he could speak, I said, no, not my son. Let me call his phone. But the more I was in denial of the situation, I realized my other son was dead. I need I needed answers. So I need to pull myself together I left the hospital heading towards home. I was thinking, how am I going to tell my youngest kids that brother is dead? I jumped on the highway to beat traffic, but I was moving. I wasn't moving any faster. I'm going. I'm getting off on 135th Street exit, heading west to the apartment building. I was close to home, and I needed to think what I was going to say to the kids. I started parking the car, but I sat inside for about a couple of minutes to gather my thoughts. I began to exit the car, making my way towards the front door of the apartment. I put the key in the door and turned the knob. I made my way inside and closed the door behind me. I called my 12-year-old son and my 12-year-old daughter name. And my 12-year-old came and said, yes, ma'am. He said, I see. He said, you see, I can't. Okay, I'm sorry. He can see I have been crying. He says, what's wrong, mom? I say, go get your sister. I have something to tell both of you. What's going, what's going, what's wrong, mom? I say, just go get your sister. The 12, my 12-year-old 12 son gets, goes to wake up my daughter. About five minutes later, my 12-year-old daughter was coming towards me, wiping her eyes from being in a deep sleep. 
Yes, ma'am, she says to me. And mom, why are you home from work? I now have two of my youngest kids in their room. I was getting ready to tell them about their brother, but the phone rang. I am the reporter that brought to light about the shooting of the unarmed black 15-year-old teenage boy killed by the badge of law. I remember talking to my nephew and he told me about his friend that never made it to the game room one summer break. I started to look into the incident to get a clear understanding. I first looked to get in contact with the detectives handling the case and I see and see what information, if any, they would be able to provide me. I had a friend that worked to the police station in Wynwood, and I was going to give her a call, just, you know, just to get the detective's name. I began to dial her number, looking to remember, was it 786-234-5234, or was it 786-234-3452? I said to myself, what the hell? I would just dial both of the numbers and see which is the right number. I dialed the number 786-234-5234, Someone picked up saying, welcome to the chat line. I laughed to myself saying, this can't be the number. So I dialed the number 786-234-3452. And that familiar voice said, hello. I said, Gloria, yes, who's calling? It's me, Kathy. The reporter? <laughs> Kathy? Yes, Kathy the reporter. I was doing a story about the former police chief who was convicted of rape of an underage African-American teenage girl. The Gloria said, yes, I definitely remember you. Reporter Johnson. Your story single-handedly had the police chief fired and arrested in the same day. We begin to share a laugh about that day. Gloria starts to ask, what do I owe this pleasure of your call? I told her, I'm looking, I'm looking, uh, I'm, I am working on a story. Uh, involving one of my nephew's friends, killed by the badge of law during summer break. I just needed a little information. Just the detective's names handling the investigation. Gloria told me, wait one minute, what's your nephew's friend name? I said, Todd Gerald. Gloria begins to type his name into the police database. About one minute of looking, Gloria says, it's Detective Pudge and Green. I started writing both names down and I said to Gloria, do you have the number for them? Gloria answers, I will give you their desk number and extension. I answered, okay, and thank you, Gloria. Gloria asked me, do you have something to write with? I answered, yes. Gloria says, the number is 305-458-4000, extension 3945. I said to Gloria, thank you for all your help. And I won't just call you when I need your help. But, but I will call you just to invite you to lunch or dinner. Flora says to me, I understand, and I understand. In life, you're always chasing the dollars to pay a bill. But when you can't invite me to lunch at the restaurant in Overtown, I think the name is House of Wings. I said, no problem, Gloria. Let's make a lunch date uh, maybe for next week Friday. Gloria agrees, and I say, see you then. And I say bye, and I hang up the phone. I felt elated that I have a key piece of the puzzle I'm looking to put the, pu the whole puzzle together. I was leaving, leaving from the coffee shop on 29th Street, 2nd Avenue, when I noticed this red car with dark tent windows parked next to me. I said to myself, mm, no, no, this can't be who I think it is. But I put my car in reverse. I pushed my foot all the way down, accelerating at a high rate of speed. Also turned a couple of corners to ensure it. If I was being followed, I lost that person. I thought to myself, you know, just asking a question out loud, what was that, well, what, what if that was a former police chief? The more I thought of the situation, the more paranoid I seemed to become. Let me say this, I did a tour in the army. I have been in combat fighting. I was part of the first Iraq war, but I am a very nervous person. I have been to the VA hospital on numerous occasions to meet with my doctors. All they have done so far is waste my time and energy. If I have PSD, maybe I would feel better knowing 
That's the reason why I can't sleep at night. That's why I wake up in my own sweat. I feel like I have lost some of the day. I have been at the stop like, well, I don't know how long. But I started hearing knocking on my window. My eyes started to make sense of what my brain just couldn't relate. There was a bachelor knocking at my window. The bachelor was asking me to roll down my window. I complied with the request. And the bachelor asked me, am I all right? I said, yes, sir. I was just lost in thoughts. The bachelor begins to ask me, have I been drinking or am I on any drugs? I thought of a second before I opened my mouth and said, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Oh, go fuck yourself. No, sir. I was just lost in thoughts. The bachelor says, okay, ma'am, you are free to go. I said one last parting words. Thank you, sir, for your service to the community. And then I pulled off and headed home. Now, I needed to be rush hour traffic. The time was about 4.30 p.m. And I was about 15 minutes uh, heading south towards Homestead. If I wanted to get home before 6 p.m., <laughs> now, and I'm coming away from the Winwood area, shoot, I already know it's going to be a drive in itself to get to the expressway on 16th Street and 12th Avenue. I made my way towards Tales Avenue. I, I, you know, making a left, headed to the expressway, passing by the hospital, that same VA hospital that just I feel like the doctor's just wasting my time. And then I remember by Jackson, JMH. That's where Todd Mother worked. And I started to get real emotional, you know, putting myself you know, about with his mother. Just to discover your child was deceased in that manner. I, I began to get on the expressway. I cut on some, I cut on uh, the artist Drake music, playing it inside my car for the long drive home. I said about 25 minutes later, I was pulling in my driveway, turning the car off, gathering my paperwork, making sure I have that one paper with that phone number on it for the detectives. Yes, I have it. So I began stepping out of my car, closing the car door, walking to the front door with my keys already in hand, turning the knob, opening up the door, and I started walking inside the house, closing the door behind me. I could hear my Yorkie barking. I say, hey, Queen. See, Queen, that was my dog's name. I opened up the back door, and I let Queen out of her cage, and I made my way to the desk in the living room, sorting through the papers, putting the detective's name on top, and I said I would call them in the morning. I just wanted to take a shower and go to sleep. I didn't care about eating tonight. I was just, <laughs> I was just that drained. I let Queen stay outside for about 10 minutes to relieve herself, and I called out to Queen. She came running inside the house. I closed the back door, and I made sure it was locked. I gave Queen some fresh water, some more dog food. Come eat, Queen. I started to make my way to the shower, dropping off each layer of clothing I had on until I was bare naked. Started to turn the shower on, letting the water get hot, but not too hot, more lukewarm, so I can get inside and bathe my body. Now I'm about 10 minutes into my shower and I hear Queen barking. And I listen again before I get out of the shower because I know I'm gonna have to go investigate. Why Queen barking continuously like this? I started grabbing my towel to wrap myself up and see what's causing Queen to be in an uproar. I started making my way down the stairs. I called out to my dog, Queen. I said, come here. But the more she barked, and that's when I started to make, I started to walk even slower down the stairs. I finally make it to the edge of the stairs, and I take a look around the corner, looking for something to grab, like a stick. But all I had was an umbrella. <laughs> that would do at this point. I headed over to where Queen is barking, and that's when I see what the uproar was. It was a rat on my kitchen counter. I took a swing at that rat to chase it away. And I'm, now I'm starting to think, how did the rat get inside my house? That's when I remember I left the door open when Queen went outside to relieve herself. That's the call of exterminating in the morning. I can't live with no rat in my house. <laughs> and I can't even get a good night's sleep. It's not going to happen. I turned on most of all the lights in the house. 
just to look if I could see that rat. Now I was armed and dangerous at this point with an umbrella as my weapon. And if I seen that rat, that was going to be the last of that rat. But since I didn't see the rat, I began to make my way back upstairs. So I take Queen in my room. You know, I'm going to let her sleep there tonight. I thought I seen a light in my backyard. And I'm not going to check. Or go down, throw them damn stairs. I'm going to bed now. The time is about 12 a.m. It's already another day. And I have to call them detectives in the morning to find out about the case. I was starting to drift off in a deep sleep, but suddenly I heard a boom outside my house. And Queen started to bark. And I have no choice to go back down them stairs and see what, what just took place. My heart is beating faster and my adrenaline is kicking. And the fight or flight mode has me running downstairs now to the front door. I begin to grab the door knob to open the door and look outside. Just as I open the door, I see that same red car pulling off at a high rate of speed. And, and the front of my car windshield was just smashed with a damn brick. I turned around to go inside the house and, and, and call the police. Where, where, where's my phone? Where, where, where's my phone? Going towards the room to, re to look inside my purse, I am fuming at this point. This motherfucker done broke my window in my car. I have my phone now. Dialing 911, the operator answers. 911 operator, what's your emergency? I said, I need someone to come out to 3145 Southwest 137th Avenue. Right away, please. Then I operator say, what's, what's your emergency? Um, Someone, so, someone just broke my window, um, and I seen a car, a car speed away at a high rate of speed. Now, one well, operator began to say, "Is the individual or individuals still on scene?" I began to say, "No, ma'am." The operator again asked me, "What's my name?" I says, "Kathy, Ka Kathy Johnson." The operator says, "Hold on, Miss Johnson, while I dispatch a unit to your location." Dispatch to Unit 35, come in. Go ahead, dispatch. This is Unit 35. Unit 35, I need you to go to 13145 Southwest 137th Avenue. We have a reported. I need you to go investigate. Unit 35 is en route. The 911 operator comes back on the line and says, a unit is en route. Go back inside your house. The officer should be there in like in 15 minutes, in five minutes. Uh, uh, 15 minutes, hopefully soon. I said thank you to 911 operator. I proceeded to hang up the phone, go back inside the house, waiting till the officers arrived. I looked at my phone to see how many minutes had I had left until the badge log came. As I was checking my watch, I seen some red and blue lights flashing. I opened the front door and I waited until the officer stepped out of the car. I said, I don't need to get shot <laughs> for mistaken identity. I always say that the eye of the badge of law, you are not the one calling for help. You are the suspect. I've seen the officer before, and I just can't remember. But I said, nevertheless, the badge of law here, and he comes up and says, good night. I am Officer Garcia. This is Officer Gonzalez. Uh, I am Miss Johnson. Officer Gonzalez says, um, who broke your window? Was it an ex-boyfriend? I said, no. Officer Gonzalez Garcia asks me, do you have any enemies who will want to break your car window? I said, I have gained some due to the nature of my work. Officer Gonzalez says, what type of work do you do? I said, I'm a reporter. That's when Officer Gonzalez says, I knew you look familiar. And I said, why is that? That's when the badge law says, you had a former police chief fired and arrested. I said to myself, 
shit. This can't be good. But nevertheless, they took an oath to serve the public. That's when Officer Garcia says, how may we help you if you don't know who did it? Uh, what you mean? Is that a problem, Mr. Uh, officer? Officer Garcia says no. But Gonzalez says to me, you fucking people and your kind. What, what do you mean, you fucking people and your kind? I felt myself losing control of my emotions. Anger started to have me wanting to punch that cocksucker in his face. <laughs> and by that time, it would have been assault on BOL, badge of law, for the precise. I had to calm myself down really quick and say to Officer Gonzalez, what's your badge number? He turns around, walking away, pretending to not hear me, asking me for this information. Now, officer must provide me this information. Low battery. I walked and never, never ever so close to Officer Gonzalez. If he would have stopped, I would have bumped into his back. The other officer, the other officer ran over there again, too close, and, and ran, you know, he ran to my back and, and grabs me and throws me towards the pavement in my driveway and says, put your hands behind your back. Put your hands behind your back. Now, I couldn't believe what was happening. I was just, was I not the one just an hour ago calling for help? As a crime, I was a victim of a crime. Now I'm beginning to be a suspect. Now I'm beginning to be arrested. I am beginning, I'm being convicted of my color. Oh, is this the reason of retaliation and abuse of law? Because I had a former police chief fired and arrested. In my mind, I said, <laughs> I would not be another victim killed by the badge of law. I'm going to stop resisting. That's the officer keeps screaming, stop resisting. As the pain I'm having in my arm bent so far back and they grabbing my afro, I, I started screaming, help me, help me, somebody help me. And at the same time, I'm saying, you fucking asshole, you're breaking my arm. Officer Gonzalez says, <laughs> I would estimate he's a 230 pound officer and I'm just a mere 130 pounds. I pose no threat to him. I started making my peace with the highest spiritual being of the universe. I was just like, I would never probably tell my mother something so simple as hello. Due to the high rate of killers of darker skinned people when dealing with a badge of law. I was in despair at this point. About 10 minutes of this uncalled abuse, a violation of human rights, I screamed more. Someone, someone to help me out of this. I heard a man's voice say to the officers, what are you doing to this queen? That's when Officer Gonzalez Garcia answers the man to stay out of the police matter. Just stay back and don't interfere or you will be arrested. Go on, sir. That's what the king says. I ain't going nowhere. And I record what's going on here. And I hear another man's voice. You must, you must... <laughs> Going to arrest a lot of us. Or oh, you better call for backup. I was unaware that I was living next to the founder of the Blacks Against the Badge. Blacks Against the Badge of Law. Just my luck. It was a meeting going on. And I started to hear, and they started to hear my calls for help. Before I knew it, there was about 30 kings surrounding the officers. The king started yelling, do that shit to me. I'm your size. You pussy badge of law. The more the officer guns out, started to loosen his grip and my, and my arm. Officer guns out, started to take his knee off my back. King said, you have five minutes to let this queen up or shit is going to get fucking real. So call back up. 
and we would call our backup. 1,000 on keys with a distaste for the badge of law. I can hear this, this strong key voice saying, Queen, grab my hand. I reached up to the person, like a person pulling me out of the rumble of a crumbled building. I started to get up trying to gather my footing. I hear this king saying, I am Dr. Adderley, but you can call me Raymond. I said, thank you for coming to my assistance. I said, by the, by the way, my name is Kathy. I looked up at Dr. Adderley and I noticed that he was a very muscular king. I wonder, I was like, damn, what's, I'm looking all battered and bruised, looking like a hot mess, tears, residue oil on my cheeks. I had Raymond telling the other 29 kings that he was going to walk me inside my house and he would be right back. I was thinking maybe I was, I was, I was there dreaming about a place that kings really did come to the rescue of queens in distress. But I felt the pain in my arm and I said, okay, I'm not dead. I was close to the front door of my place. I was almost there. And I had a strange thought come to my head. I should just pretend to get dizzy. Just so Raymond can carry me in those muscular, massive muscular arms. I second thought this impulse. I finally made it inside my house. Raymond asked me, am I okay? I said, a little sore, but I'm alive. Thanks to you and the other 29 kings. Raymond says to me, the greatest gift that God created was a queen. I will lay down my life for a black queen. I was moved by the compassion. I was like, okay, king. Raymond says he will check on me in the, tomorrow. I asked on impulse, I would like that. I gave Raymond a hug and said, be safe. As he walks away, and I closed my door.